We need something with lots of, like, war and dice and thematic shit. So then you want a war miniatures game, something skirmish style like Legion or Blood and Plunder. Dude, you're really into board games. All right, that's it, guys. Dice Studs Gamers Club is about to go tabletop miniatures. As the torciadores quietly rolled their cigars and the despalilladoras stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves, they were entertained, informed, and inspired by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast. Stories and cigars from the exiled South. Welcome to the Elector Podcast. I'm <laughs> uh, trying to light a massive cigar. What ring gauge is this? Anybody know? What is the? How do you do a ring gauge on a box press? Uh, it's a rectangle. What's the box cage? I mean, the box the, cage. What's the Nicholas cage? What's yeah, the Nicholas cage, cage on this cage thing? On this it's thing. a large, very large. It's a very thick cigar. <laughs> okay, so this is the Elector Podcast. Uh, we have a really uh, fun evening tonight. Because something we've been planning for a while. We have Mike Tunes. And it's Lily? Lillian Figueroa. Lillian Figueroa. Figueroa from Firelock Games. And they're here tonight to talk about their signature game, their, their premium reserve game called Blood and Plunder, right? Right. Awesome. Okay, so Arr, this I, is a Miami-born. we are. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is a. Mi- I was waiting. Thank somebody, you. Yeah, somebody had to you're do welcome. it. It's yeah. inevitable. I, can, <laughs> I can't Arr. go anywhere and talk about Blood and Thunder without an I and an R somewhere. Yeah. So this is a Miami-born uh, company, right? That's right. Born, born and raised in the exiled South. That's right. It's awesome. Well, mm-hmm. well, welcome to both of you. We're glad you're here, and we're going to talk about the game tonight. But first, I I wanted to since it's kind of like a pirate theme night. Um, I bought, I, I decided we were going to, uh, just for, not for the sake of, of flavor necessarily, or because it's the, you know, it's, it's rated we, we by pick, Cigar you Snob. The, you or pick the cigars <laughs> for, the, for the best possible reason. <laughs> the, bo- the presentation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Their name. <laughs> what, what, it's the a name. pretty band. This is the Gurkha Rogue, right? And um, I actually took a, I, 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 I'm going to be honest, I never heard of this. This is Rogue Armageddon. Uh, so that's the Rogue Armageddon, um, <laughs> and it's uh, and let's see, I, I, I it's uh, Armageddon. I'm, like I said, I never heard of this. Does cigar it have before. multiple R's? No, just one. Okay. Now we have smoked Gurkha before, right? You, yeah, you, the, yeah. Like we uh, we were talking earlier, the the I think it's the 15 year or the 12 year reserve. So yeah, yeah reserve. The, the cell. I think it's called the cellar reserve. Cellar reserve. That's, that's the one that you really enjoyed. Yeah. I, so, I just like Gurkha. I don't even think that they're my favorite cigar as much as I just love the legend of the Gurkha, the Gurkha soldier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which my grandfather met one in Burma. Right. Which I don't know if you have we talked about this story before. You might have, but nobody heard it because okay. nobody listened nobody, to it. So. <laughs> For the 15 people that listen to this podcast, uh, I'm going to repeat myself. So the Gurkhas are a uh, ethnic group from Nepal. And they became soldiers in the British Army, and they were incredibly feared. They're they're like short, demon-looking little things, 
Um, Short demon looking. Oh, they're, they're <laughs> fierce, <laughs> ugly SOBs. Um, but they're incredibly tough and they're incredibly fearsome. There's two standing Gurkha units in the world today. I think India has a, a unit mm-hmm. and uh, the British, the Royal Army has a standing Gurkha unit. And so, if you look at the label, if you ever look at a Gurkha label, they have the, the, the Gurkha soldier there and he has the Kiri knife. And the Kiri knife is that half scimitar looking boomerang death um and they're and they were famous for their knives and so one of the things that some people didn't know was what the rule was about the knife and my grandfather was one of the people that made this mistake he was in he was an anti-aircraft gunner in burma in the army air corps world war ii and he met a, a famous gurkha and he asked oh after talking to him he said can i see your knife and the Gurkha happily produced the knife and showed it to my grandfather, and he was, th- you know, impressed and showed due respect to thank you very much. And the guy was very happy. Took the knife and cut his hand open. And my grandfather said, "What are you doing?" He says, "Well, I can't put it back until it's drawn blood." Wow. <laughs> and that was the, that's the legend of the cure. He's like, "I would never have asked you for it if I knew that." <laughs> so he didn't know that aspect. So but lesson learned. Lesson Don't learned. Yeah. Never ask a Gurkha to see his knife. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. If yeah. I run into one, I'll remember. Hopefully, mm-hmm. if I run into a short, weird-looking little guy. I'll short. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the famous <laughs> things that happened with a Gurkha that's that's legend and, and speaks to their strength. There was a British uh, artillery officer that was surveying a field, and a round was fired at him from quite a distance, and it hit the Gurkha in the head. Bounced off the Gurkha and killed the British officer, and the Gurkha was fine. Wow! Thus, the legend of the Thus, Gurkha. And now we it's now impressive. we smoke cigars. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Gurkha produced this uh, rogue Armageddon, and uh, basically, it says in uh, this is for, we I got it at Neptune Cigars, our local tobacconist. Yay, here. Neptune! We love Neptune. And uh, basically, this is their write-up. Um, I'll be I'll summarize. Uh, Gurkha Cigar Company has made. Uh, this cigar under the East India Trading Company trademark uh, line of affordable premium smokes, and it was. It wasn't. You know what? It was. It's, it's not on the heavy side as far as the price point goes. As a cool box. The box yeah. presentation is great. This is the darkest cigar in the line, which is why I got it, because uh, that's uh, that's that's what I, that's how I roll. Mm-hmm. And it had previously. Uh, it was was also previously released. Uh, they've also released the Red Witch and the Wicked Indie. Those are the other two, I guess, under the Indie, Indie Trading Company, East Indie Trading Company. So anyway, uh, I wanted us to smoke it tonight. Uh, it's rated 87 on Cigar Insider. So what do you guys think so Eight, far? 87 out of what? 87 out of 100, I guess. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, we'll go around the table in a minute uh, and just kind of uh, get everybody's opinion. What do you What do you think, Matt, on this one? Uh, I felt like it had a little bit of a, a rough and bitter start, but it's smoothing out nicely. Uh, I'm only an inch in so far, but we'll, I mean, we'll see how the night progresses. We should check in with each other as we keep going. When I lit it, when I lit it, I thought it was uh, I thought it was gonna burn in my hand, like, just like. Yeah, it just, yeah. uh, it just like I thought I was, was going to suck it once and it was going to. I feel know. like this would be a great cigar to have in your mouth as you were to light cannons on fire, yeah, yeah. Like, like to, <laughs> exactly. to fire the cannon. Yeah. It'd be very handy. Exactly. It'd be handy, yeah. I was a little. Uh, you were texting us uh, when you were shopping today, which was really exciting for me because I was like, oh yeah, I, I don't have to go buy cigars. Right. And, <laughs> so thank you for buying the smoke. But I, uh, I did not notice that it was a box press. So I was surprised when we opened up that it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, I like the box. You press. love. 
the box press. Love the box press stuff. So, Andrew, are you smoking one? I could be. You could be. Would you like one? Go, give him us so we can hear. <laughs> yeah. We have Andrew here with us. He doesn't have the mic with him right now, but he's he's one of our cigar aficionados. So as he goes through, very kind of you. Uh, we will uh, due to get lack, his due to on the lack of Victor. The part of Victor tonight yeah. will be played by exactly. And Victor couldn't be with us tonight. Uh, he's traveling home. Mark is here. What up, Mark? How's it going? Good to see you, man. What do you think of the What do you think of the Gurkha? Uh, so far, so good. I agree. It's uh, you know the size is bigger than I normally smoke, but. Um, it's, it's good. <laughs> I don't know what I expected, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have, uh, it's pleasant. It's, it's pretty good, yeah. yeah. It's got a good draw. Surprisingly. Yeah. All right, so getting into this, I'm going to pass the mic over to uh, Matt so he can kind of take us through the rest of the episode. No pressure. All right. <laughs> um, so, Mike, this is, some of us have D&D experience. And so we have a little bit. Andrew is is probably our most avid. Is that the word? Not rabid. Avid. Uh, tabletop gamer, right? That's the appropriate. Tabletop Which is interesting because doesn't your brother, the coach for an esports team, he's nodding yes. We have cameras today, so that's helpful. <laughs> that's typically what I do. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your kind of love for pirates first? Let's start with that. Where did that start come from sure so that's um that started as a at a very young age i couldn't quite i can't quite pinpoint it but i do know that there was a um event i gotta get closer i'm good all right okay okay so um i do have uh my mom basically told me as long as i've been able to identify things and ask for stuff i've been into pirate things right it started with a an an affection for captain hook in the peter pan cartoon (laughs) right that was uh, my first halloween costume that i chose myself Right, so yeah, ever since then, as a kid growing up, and then the big thing, the big trigger, right? You know, it, what what took it from just like a, hey, I think pirates are kind of a cool thing to dress up as for Halloween. It turned into a uh, um, a real fascination was the Sid Meier's Pirates game, which I played when I was in elementary school on uh, on NES, and that was, um, you know, I was I was probably like nine, ten years old at the time, and it was really my first interaction with uh, like. Real history, real geography. Because you know, they give you if you've ever played the game, they give you a whole map of the Caribbean. It's got you know Florida and Mexico and the Spanish Main and all the and all the Windward Islands and everything. And um, so, you know, just sailing around and and learning about the Dutch and the English and the Spanish and the French. I was just totally, totally brought into that world and just like fascinated. It was, it was immersive. By that. Yeah, exactly. It just yeah. took me in. That was like was, first of all, it was pretty amazing for a video game of its time. The level of sandbox kind of. Um, exploration and freedom they gave you I'd never seen anything like that so that that to begin with just, just drew me into the game but then the, all the imagery of the ships and the different types of ships and and managing your crew and keeping them all those all those intricacies that you'd get <coughs> running a pirate crew right and uh, and really privateer because in that game you you have to you realize that how difficult it would be to be a true pirate uh, because you'd have no safe ports in which right. to refit and do things like that so you have to you got to ally with somebody and privateer for somebody to some degree so that game is really what set it off and and got me kind of uh curious about the the real the reality of real pirates in the history and that hooked me for life from there i remember when i was in grad school i took some uh, management courses and privateering was one of the harder chapters managing your crew yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. i can imagine yeah. <laughs> i have an important question sure <clears throat> what is your favorite pirate ship uh 
fictional or uh, historical? The, like type or named ship? Named ship. Named ship. Um, the sweepstakes, just because it's a, such an outrageous name. What's the history? Is that a, that's a real one? Or? That's a real ship. Yeah, I don't. I think I know some Buccaneers. Jim McMahon captained that for a while. I actually don't remember Publishers Clearinghouse. I actually don't remember the uh, the name of the captain, but it was it was one of those Buccaneers that sailed with Henry Morgan. Ed McMahon. Jim McMahon was the. Did I say Jim McMahon? McMahon? I, I meant Ed McMahon. Because my favorite is the the Golden Fleece. That's oh, that's a good other good one. Yeah. Yeah. The Golden Fleece. There you go. Nice. nice. I that work, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been I've been reading about pirates ever since my father-in-law started taking us out on the boat. Mm-hmm. And you go by um, oh now I can't think of it. Um, oh, the creek. Uh, um, yeah, Caesar's Creek. Caesar's Creek. Yeah. Thank you, because Black Caesar was the, <clears throat> right. the pirate supposedly who sailed the, those waters. Right. And so the you know we live on the edge of the Caribbean basically, and so yeah, it's a pretty cool part of our history. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's funny thing you bring up us. Well, I, I figured that would come up eventually. That's our local pirate, the only guy we know of. That's, and, and most of his story is probably legend. But yeah. he, there was definitely a pirate named Caesar who was black and who uh, was captured when Blackbeard was slaughtered with his crew. But uh, so, fingers crossed, the um, we were hanging out with... Um, the South Park guys at Gen Con because they're really into Blood and Plunder. Sweet. And uh, and they brought up, they brought up how it would be cool to have a movie on Black Sea. They were fascinated by Black Sea there for some reason. Mm. So you know, keep them, keep fingers crossed. We can see a cool movie coming. Wow, out. you heard it here, maybe first. <laughs> the Black Caesar yeah. movie by Trey Parker and, and Matt uh, Stone. And Matt Stone. <laughs> Why do I feel like Black Black Caesar would be like really overweight and I'll take your boat if I want. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. <laughs> so, so Mike, so you grew up in Miami here, right? Yeah, you're, you're, a, right. you're a local boy, and li- li- we have Lily here with us as well. Lily, where are you from originally? I'm from Cuba. You're from Cuba. What do you do at uh, Firelock Games? I'm, uh, I'm the art director. The, okay. Yeah, like graphic designer, web designer, marketing designer. Yeah. <laughs> also the coffee director. Coffee yeah. director. <laughs> the 305 cafecito mm-hmm. yeah. uh, director. Coffee yeah. nerd. Yeah. <laughs> she des- she des- she determines whether or not coffee is acceptable from certain places. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> What's your favorite coffee? Uh, right now. A brand. Yeah, yeah, brand. Uh, I would say, uh, oh my God, Death. The, oh my God, I forgot. Death's head. No, no, no. Death no. Wish. That's what, right? No, no. I have no? it in the back of my car. It's Death Coffee or something. Death, it's Death Coffee. Wish. Yeah, the 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 logo of the company. It's a uh, skull and crossbones, I think. Oh, nice. Not not Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, they advertise the coffee as a uh, the world's strongest coffee, and it's it actually it's actually tastes like Cuban coffee. Oh, okay. But it's they the, sell the, the roast. Beans. It's yeah, just it's, a, it's slightly roast. weaker than Cuban coffee, but okay. <laughs> slightly yeah. weaker. For some reason, there's nothing stronger than Cuban coffee. Maybe maybe Jamaican Blue Mountain when it's very dark roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it's that's not the Jamaican Blue Mountain. Pricey. Might be my favorite type of coffee. Nice, nice. Yeah. Wow. So, so you have a little bit of a cigar background too. I heard. Yeah, a tiny yeah, bit. Tiny yeah. bit. Tell, <laughs> us, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, like from when I was a child or when I was like working. Well, it all started. <laughs> it all started. Well, I mean, back I was born a poor black child. Yeah, yeah. Back in Cuba, my grandma's sister used to work. 
and cigar factories and growing up I used to go with my grandma to visit her mm-hmm. and so I used to go to Romeo Julieta, Monte, Monte Cristo, Patagas yeah. and then you know like the, all of these factories were actually around my house right right so it's I, I love the whole buildings and the structures and the mid-century design yeah, <laughs> and aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's like my art background, what what, what pinged me or whatever. Right. And then coming here uh, to the U.S., I, I, I basically started working at this company that was sharing a building with Cigar Snob. Mm-hmm. And I became sort of friendly with uh, Cavino. I, fr- I think it's Eric Cavino. Okay. And From Cigar Snob Yeah, the guys. Yeah. yeah. And one of my friends actually works there as a graphic designer. And I helped them out on a couple of projects in the past. This has been like a few years ago. And then I think through that, through, through that contact, I forgot how it was, uh, I, got a, I got to work for AJ. AJ uh, Fernandez? Yeah. Okay. Uh, She's I not did, a first name. It's just AJ. Just AJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did the, the whole, uh, all the advertising for the New World Cigar release. Mm. That's one of my favorite. No kidding. I love the New World Cigar. I love the whole story. <coughs> package is fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah, the, IC, and the IPCPR. Uh, that uh, that year, I forgot the year. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I got to do all the designs for the the panels that were inside the booth. Nice. And I sort of kind of I find his story very fascinating uh, because he is kind of like a bl- bl- master blender sort yes, of thing. Yes. Yes. So they wanted to reinforce the brand based on his personality. So I did the website, I did the whole thing around his personality and hence uh, his family history coming from Cuba with his dad. Mike, and it was nice talking to you. All right, no, we're <laughs> going. Keep going. <laughs> and well, Lily's way more interesting yeah. than I am. Uh, and, and I sort of like got you know, into the whole story and try to create something that sort of like went with the brand at the time. And then. Wow. Well, you yeah. did a damn good job because everybody's smoking AJ Fernandez cigars these days. I it's mean, like, have you seen yeah. the size of those leaves? Yeah, yeah. And the feels. <laughs> I was like shocked. I showed my dad and my uncle. They do smoke cigars and they're like blown away. Yeah. Because in Cuba now, it like, uh, this is like, you know, in Cuba, everything, it's like, like Hush, hush! You oh, yeah. you hear things through other people's mouth. Right. So like the quality of cigars, it's not that great, mm-hmm. and like the governments just have control farming of specific areas where they have good quality, and they sell those only to specific countries. I think it's Canada and Switzerland mm-hmm. or Spain, and yeah. the the rest of the world gets like whatever is the left. Spare, yeah. Yeah. The is this standards. the part where we start ripping on communism? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> no, no. Actually, you're reinforcing stuff that we've already talked about in those other episodes. That yeah, it's a, it's a shame. So, yeah. But <laughs> it, it's it was a fascinating. Sh- it's a shame because it's like the legacy of you know the the country itself, like the the cigar culture. But yeah, <coughs> that's, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you have this guy who has that knowledge from his father, you know, from generations, and then he goes to, I think he's in Nicaragua or something? Yeah, Steli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Steli. And he has these, like, like fields full of, like, gorgeous, like, big leaves, and yeah. they're, like, huge. Yeah. And I was impressed because the, the, the ones that I'm used to from Cuba are completely, like, different. The yeah. ones that I saw. 
yeah, yeah. So your grandmother was a despadilladora. My grandma's sister. Your grandma's sister. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you, you know, my grandmother was a despadilladora too. Uh -huh. So you are. My grandmother was a stripper. That's the literal translation. Yes. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, so so your yeah, aunt, well, your grandma's sister was yeah. also a stripper. Oh my God! I'm gonna tell that to <laughs> anyway, her. Moving on. Mar Marcos, you forgot the AKA. My dad AKA is going AKA to love that stripper. story. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. So we have this. Uh, go back to blood and plunder. Well, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so we, um, your kind of first immersive experience is on the NES. Yeah. And Mark, actually, can we get like uh, just a production note? Uh, I forget what Marcos cited, but whenever we say something that shows our age, can we get a little ding? Because <laughs> that would be nice. Because you know. But so your first experience is in the NES. Mm -hmm. um, I want to leave that there. When was your first kind of RPG experience? When was your first role-playing game? So, I never really got into role-playing games, honestly. Actually, I've, I had a bunch of friends who were into it, and they tried to drag me into a few D&D games or some stuff. I, um, I probably shouldn't admit this publicly, but the only role-playing I've ever really enjoyed, that, and I only did it one time, I didn't play it one time, was 4th was edition Dungeons & Dragons, which is, which is um, you know... My we're, business on, partner, we're on the fifth edition right now. Yeah, yeah. My, my business partner almost cut ties with me when he found that out. Like said, Listen, we're just never going to talk about that. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, cue, Mark, cue the bell. I yeah, grew up so, playing second edition. Yeah, Ding. yeah there you go. Wow. So he yes, he grew up playing first. But anyway, that game is. So his his beef was it was that like it's more like a board game, like a miniatures game. That's probably why I enjoyed it. So war games yeah, yeah, yeah. is really what I've what I've always enjoyed. I, I grew up in the church. Which, which is the one that uh, conjures Satan? Yeah. Uh, you're referring That's to the satanic theory. panic that happened in the 70s and yeah, 80s. I believe that was second edition. Yeah, yeah. Second, second edition was the satanic panic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, but wargaming was more my thing. My, my, my initial, if you guys are familiar with Battletech, which the video game series is MechWarrior. Shut up. That's, that was... Listen, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. Battletech... Had a live place that you could play in oh, Chicago yeah, yeah. on Navy Pier. So BattleTech, we had it here in Dave and Buster's. Shut up! Yeah. I didn't. I only knew about the one in Navy Pier because I was a kid. But um, yeah, Virtual so, World. So BattleTech is the concept of these giant walking tanks, essentially. Right. Yeah. And it's a it, you're fighting other giant walking tanks, and they have rocket launchers. And there's a whole political system of yeah. houses and planets. It's like a little Dune esque in that response mm -hmm. or in that respect. But if you went to Navy Pier, you climbed into a real cockpit, and it slid over you, and there were all these screens, that and we cool. were such freaking dorks. We would say, because <laughs> you could go in and configure your, your mech any way you wanted, and we would have our configurations, this was so so bad, on clipboards <laughs> that we would use belts and tie them to our legs, so that we could go in there and have, like, we thought... I'm not kidding. It was bad. It was like trying to be like an Iron Eagle. Ding. Uh, I can't believe that. I, my friends and I would save up money just to go play three rounds of Battletech. Right. Oh, so, it was amazing. So that's funny because, you know, the... Um have you ever played Mech Warrior? It's basically like the scaled down version right, for right. your PC of that, right? Exactly. So that was... Once again, video games were my next trigger into the tabletop world now, right? So I played Mech. I had I got MechWarrior Two that came with a joystick, and I thought it was just like the coolest game I had ever played, right? And I got really immersed because BattleTech has this re incredible backstory, right? That rivals right. anything, any kind of universe, Star Wars or you know Dungeons or anything you can think of. They, they've got a really built up universe in it, and it's really interesting. They got a bunch of novels, tons of tons of books, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, 
And I, ironically, I really don't play any video games these days at all. Except mm. I, I play the modern version of MechWarrior once in a while. And well, I part of that is because you have two small children. And that is a significant sleep. part yeah. of that. But <laughs> even before the kids, like I was, I was just once I got like basically once I got into the tabletop games, right? Because BattleTech is, uh, you know, mainly that's where it started. Its life was as a tabletop uh, right. war game, right? Right. And um, which they just had a massive successful Kickstarter, by the way crazy but anyway uh the um <coughs> so that once i started getting into the tabletop games i kind of lost interest in video games for the most part i had pretty I much have stopped a theory playing. about that yeah i have a theory about that so uh recently within the last week or so uh i introduced a bunch of middle school kids Mm-hmm. To Dungeons and Dragons, Marcos and I we got together. It was mm-hmm. our kids and another. I'm still friend. shocked. Marcos actually played Dungeons and Dragons. He I, did a good job. We'll get more he on that later. Participated. <laughs> he did a good job when he wasn't like running away to go play in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. <laughs> I gotta do something. I gotta make some toast. So, yeah, there's things I gotta make with this stuff. But what was interesting to me was these kids are all iPhone, all iPad, all video game. But correct me if I'm wrong, Marco. Didn't they just oh light they, up? Yeah, they were losing it. They, I mean, they were just like having. They were all in, all into it. My, you know, Josh, my son said, "Yeah, I want to. I want to do this again." They did. They loved it. The 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 unleashing of the imagination, the un, the lack of constraint that the video game brings, right? right? Mm-hmm. And the ability to just do whatever you want, play however you want, and it was fun to watch their evolution. Uh, it was almost like watching the shackles of all these other things kind of fall off of them, right? And them kind of just running. And enjoying it, and Josh was the one that did the best at um, being his character, which oh, was yeah. really fun to watch. Right. Like he yeah. was, he had a kind of a goofy character, and he would play it to the hilt. And I think that's, I think that's a big part of why tabletop games, RPGs, oh yeah, are so exciting because what you experienced first in the video game was this taste of immersion, right? Mm-hmm. And then the tabletop really lets you. Yeah, exactly, and and in and role playing and war games do that in two real different ways, in well, so for the most part anyway. Because in in role playing, you're getting into this character. You've got these things you can kind of do whatever you want, and the you know the game master kind of guides mm-hmm. you through it, and so that kind of that's kind of cool because it kind of gets it, it triggers the imagination in that way. You're kind of do what you want and just see what happens, right? And then in miniature gaming. It's more, um, it's more of a uh, like a visual aesthetic kind of thing, cause where you build these beautiful tables with all this terrain, and you know you have trees and buildings and rivers and, and, and beaches and oceans and you know all these things you can set up. And I just and it's almost like um, if you're gonna compare it to a video game, it's like kind of like Lily's latest addiction of Minecraft. <laughs> <where Yeah. you're, laughs> Yeah, where you're building up stuff, and you know you're you're creating your own little world, right, to play in. So right. it's kind of it's kind of similar yeah. in that way. It's a sandbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, walk us mm-hmm. through, because I know, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 one thing to say, okay, we have this game. You know, to, I, I'm not familiar with role playing games. So I've, right. I found out about I found out that people were into it through you and another friend of mine. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> that who's really into this. Uh, w- uh, what's it called? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what's that other one? The big, the, the expensive one. Warhammer. 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 Yeah. All that. But that's like mm-hmm. a, a sci-fi universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is historic. This is right. this this is like uh, this is real like stuff. You you based it after real history. Tell us right. about that. 
Like yeah, the so process of getting, you know, I know you have a consultant. Yes, Benner, our, yeah. our consultant, who I always like to give a shout out to, read all his books. His name is Bennerson Little, and he really does, especially if you're that into. That sounds like a pirate name. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the closest thing to a a, a gentleman pirate, as he would describe himself, probably. Special uh, forces grew up in Key West. I understand. Uh, he was born in Key West. Born I don't know in if he Key grew West. Up there, but it, it, well, same it's thing. definitely special time. Right? Nobody grows up but, in Key West. Yeah, literally. If you yeah. stay there, if you stay there, <laughs> if you stay there, you stay there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But he was a he was a Navy SEAL and mm-hmm. um, and he's a you know he's an anti piracy expert now and stuff because he's you know he studied piracy and he did yeah I don't I don't know really what he did in the SEAL but I, I imagine maybe something if, like if that. you did he'll he, tell me I'm sure if, 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 if you did know <laughs> if you did know what he did then he didn't do his job <laughs> probably yeah right yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so uh, but he's um, but he approaches the history from that perspective, right? From mm-hmm. uh, from from a tactical kind of um, um, you know warrior perspective of, of how. So you, you read lots of pirate books and you read about a lot about sociolo- sociological elements of piracy or what their effects on society and things like that's what you get most. Or just a general like this guy did this and did that. But he gets down to more of the nitty gritty of the of the details, right? Like. Like in the game, we have a, a rule for our buccaneers where they can load a little bit faster than some of the other guys because they did they did this thing where they would not use their ramrod on the musket. They just <clears throat> put the ball in the powder and bang it against the ground a couple times, and they could they were able to increase their rate of fire that way, right? Uh, so little things like that that he notes and that he just digs up from all these crazy places and all these those little details on how they fought and. Their their strategy and their tactics and all that stuff that you don't get anywhere. I've never seen it. I've never seen I'm, anyone else really talk about. I'm it. reading one of his books. Uh, so the last one you recommended to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot which one it was. I think it was Buccaneers Realm. What is it? The Buccaneers Realm. Is it that one? The Buccaneers Realm. Yeah. And he's talking and he's detailing in the book the Buccaneers and mm-hmm. the the little island they lived on. Uh, Tortuga was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Off the north coast of Hispaniola. Right. Like if you like that, <laughs> and uh, and he's and as he's as he's developing this, you're you're just like this is so much detail. Like he's talking about mm-hmm. the clothes they wore, yeah. mm-hmm. the 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 length of their of their rifles, which was like ridiculous, like seven yeah, feet like a, long or something. It's like, like that. yeah, they're about as tall as a person. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, they were hunters, and you mm-hmm. find out about how these were the the you know basically they they barbecued, and this is yeah. where the 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 bu- bucanero comes yeah. from, right? Mm-hmm. right. And these were French, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, they're. French, mostly French. Um, yeah. So there, there were a lot of descendants of French Huguenots that uh, Huguenots that came from. Uh, they were basically just escaping persecution in France and just kind of moved to Hispaniola and just lived off the land there, right? Yeah, yeah. And most of them were actually in Hispaniola proper, in what's now Haiti. Um, or Tortuga was kind of like their stronghold where they would go and trade. That was like the port, and the, the, that's where the, you get the. In, in Tortuga, you really get more the uh, the filibustiers, the uh, yes, which are the French, the French uh, equivalent of the English buccaneer yeah. in the original. Uh, well, the buccaneers themselves, mm-hmm. the originals, but you know, but they're the ones who are more. They're not the woodsman types. They're more the sailor types, and they're they're more like. Uh, Kind of the early pirates of the Caribbean, really, and then the Buccaneers were kind of like their special forces kind of guys. They were, yeah. were sharpshooters and hunters, and you know, so they were valuable assets to them when they would go on raids and stuff like that. Almost more like Marines. Yeah, basically, you could kind of see them as Marines. Uh, the filibustiers themselves would probably fill that role as well to a degree. It just varied, but yeah, it varied from crew to crew. Obviously, in the game, they'll both function both ways so as someone's playing the game are, are, are they kind of walking through some of that history or, or well, is real, it are you just quick before we get creating into your own scenarios real quick when you talk about warhammer i, w- I just want to kind of draw these two distinctions because I, because I think what i'm 
what I'm curious about is the where your game fits in between these two ends of the spectrum, right? right. D&D, you said, is the, the role-playing. I'm playing a character, right. and mm-hmm. Warhammer, I'm more commanding units. Correct. Yeah, so I'm it's more like Warhammer. I have yeah. multiple units <laughs> out there that have varying capacities. There's several of them. I have, may have hundreds of right. people at my command. Yes. I have hundreds of units at my command as opposed right. to playing a person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... More what Marcos is asking, this idea of how much are you in the history, in your game, how much am I commanding units versus role-playing? Right, so that's actually a thing. In, in, in wargaming, you get a lot of talk about, within the community, about the difference between narrative play and competitive play. Ah, okay. Right. So narrative play will take you through the history. You can say, like the game itself, if you look through the book here, we've got... <laughs> Thank you for uh, bringing copies for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a... Uh, no problem. And you've got characters of, um, I don't even know how many characters. I've never actually counted, but I'm sure it's Way over 100. <laughs> uh, it's a lot. Because we have, yeah. just just in factions, we have 67 factions, I think, different, oh different factions God. you could play. Wow. So there's, and each faction has at least one commander, one named commander. And mo- many of them have like 5, 10, so quite a few. Mm. And we try to pull interesting guys from history, or maybe especially ones that aren't as well known. We try mm. to throw some of those in there. Um, and to just have interesting stories um, and you can use them and we try to reflect through their different abilities in the game <laughs> their their style of command or, or fighting or whatever so that you can kind of their strength and their weaknesses right, so, so as you're playing the game in the narrative sense uh, and the game is really built to do both we've, we've made it so that it's very balanced so if I it's all based on our own point system right so I'm going to take 100 points of guys you're going to take 100 points of guys and we're okay, going to gotcha. fight against each other and that should be a, that should be an even game so before right. we ma- before we play Play, we agree on a point value, right. and that and that and that leans to the competitive side where you can play yeah. in tournaments and stuff like that. Because the game, the game is designed to be very tactical and to challenge your thinking and to basically, it's whoever plays. It's not whoever builds the the, the you know the most powerful army. It's about it's more about who outplays the other person and does them and makes the most use of their resources, right? Right. And there's usually objectives like positions you have to capture or things you have to accomplish in the game to to win. Um, but on the narrative side of that, uh, you can just totally forget about the points and just read about a historical battle somewhere that happened. Um, for example, one of the ones we did a lot when we go to conventions is the uh, is Robert Serrell, who's an English buccaneer, his attack on St. Augustine, which prompted the building of the Castillo de San Marcos, uh, which you know we've all I'm sure we've all visited at some point. Um, <coughs> so. Uh, you could do that battle, and you can kind of get a, a feel for the forces that were present and play it that way. And it's going to be lopsided on one side, but you're going to kind of reliving that battle. And, and we've made the game so that it's not, even though we're not trying to be an actual, you know, tit-for-tat simulation, but the, the historical tactics and stuff will work. So you can kind of play through that and get the perspective of, of a commander or a buccaneer or a Spanish militiaman in that, in that regard. So you so. get to immerse yourself right. in a reenactment. Mm-hmm. Without any kind of constraints, right, and and experience that, and and see what what must have it felt like to be outnumbered or outmanned, right. And I think that's one of the cool things when you go to these places that we all love, right. You go to these forts, you go to these, yeah. and, you know, and you're like, it, I would hope that there would be a little bit. Like one of my favorites, Fort McHenry, mm-hmm. which is where uh, Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner, right, Whoa. right. So, and when you realize how small that place is. And that the commander ordered, mm-hmm. I want the biggest flag you could possibly make <laughs> to, aggro- to antagonize the British. 
and you're walking around the grounds, you get this, you should feel a sense of awe and wonder and that these yeah. guys fought this and held out and protected Baltimore. Right. Um, so that's really a cool element to, to immerse them into a specific historical engagement. Yeah, exactly. And then and then we took that, and specifically the, the Battle of uh, Robert Cerro, where he attacks St. Augustine, we've reenacted that a couple times, and I know we're dragging Marcos out there next Oh, year. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so. that's on my bucket list. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, so it's cool to have so first, I've read about the battle, been to the places, right? Then last time we were there, we, we rented a we rented a house, and then after we did the reenactment, we went back you and played. To place and we played the game. We played the scenario, and it was just cool to kind of get that triple layer. We were in the place where it happened. <laughs> yeah. We just reenacted the battle, and now we're like reenacting it from a tactical perspective or, or strategic perspective, whatever nice. you want to get. So that that was kind of a fun fun weekend, a fun thing to do. But that's one of the cool things you could do with something like that. You know. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Lily, do you play the game? <laughs> I've played like two or three times. <laughs> yeah. What do you think she of it? She keeps wanting to play, but we should, the problem amazing. is we keep her too busy. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is that uh, the first time I played, I was so sick. I wasn't aware of what I was playing. Yeah. And, and I, got felt like it was so, yeah. I felt like it was so complicated because... It's like, so you have a terrain, it looks like a diorama, so that's cool. You have these miniatures, they look like toy soldiers, but you have to paint them, yeah. right? And then you have to use measuring tapes to move, like measure movement and right. measure line of Wait sight. Wait a minute, really? No yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then There's math involved? You have to throw <laughs> dice, <laughs> and then you have to like, like know what your unit is, and then the rules that you unit, and then there's different aspects depending on the country, that's a, the style of play and all that, and yeah. I wasn't aware of She'd any never played a miniatures game before or, or really any tabletop, right? I've played right? a few now. Oh, now you have. But I mean, yeah. at that, that, at I that no, time. Before, I was just playing Age of Empires. I was like, okay, cool. This is like Age of Empires on a table. Yeah, yeah. It kind of is, <laughs> it but is. It, it, it is different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if I bring a fat boy uh, tape measure, am I going to piss everybody off because I'm knocking everything <laughs> down? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Zipping <laughs> it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> Most of the time, a 12-inch ruler will suffice. The, you know, tape, ah, okay, the okay. tape measure was <laughs> measure was like what really was like wait what yeah. it's just like really that does throw people off for some reason <laughs> we, we've we've um we did uh we actually did a convention because you know war gamers are used to a tape measure. every war game like ever uses some either a tape measure or some kind of i've seen i've seen older like old school war gamers will use like giant dowels that they mark off in different <laughs> oh. distances right and they have like a three foot dowel they're moving around to, and so um but so when we we did a, a PAX convention, but the PAX did an unplug convention. We did it one time, um, and it was like it wasn't a typical like wargaming crowd. Like the little bit of people who played games there, mainly D and D, Magic the Gathering, some board games, that kind of thing. So we had kind of a we were we were exposed we were exposing the game to a bunch of people who were had never seen it. So one of the cool things about the game is that it plays seamlessly between land and sea. So you can mm. have your guys on ships, you can play exclusively a sea battle, or you can play a battle on land, or you can play a battle where you've, you know, you're landing troops from a ship and all that stuff, and it all, it's all seamless, uses the same rules. Yeah. You know, we basically just treat ships like buildings that move around. So, um, so it's pretty simple. Um, and it's different. There's not really any game that does that right mm-hmm. now out on the market, not, at least not, not well, I think. But the... Um, so that was a draw because it stood out. 
in that convention because nothing even remotely close to that, right? So oh. people were attracted and coming up like, what's this, right? And they wanted to try it out. And so many people were put off by the fact that we had tape measures. Like, <laughs> they were like, just so that people that are familiar with this know that um, weapons have ranges. Yeah, right. they can only fire so far. It's right. not a movie, so that you know the. The marine on the quarter deck of one vessel firing at it, mm-hmm. someone another. You can only yeah. the cannons can only go so far. That's why you have to measure. Yeah, and it's yeah, and it's to keep it so you don't have to have any grids or anything. You just right. let's set up the table however you want, and it's just oh, these that makes guys sense. can move yeah. four inches, yeah. right? And they can move four inches. And whenever you spend the move action, you can move four inches, right? And then the most significant measurement you're going to do where the math comes in is because they're all using smoothbore black powder muskets, which are like the most inaccurate things ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, they um, they lose accuracy quickly over mm-hmm. distance. So what we do is we just say every four inches away your target is, it's one harder to hit. So you roll a ten-sided die That's to resolve anything. That's what confused me. Yeah. Ah. yeah. So, for example, you have you always have a base target number. So let's say you need, let's say you guys, uh, let's say your unit that you're shooting with has a shooting skill of six. So that's what you need to hit on a ten-sided die. And you roll one die for each guy in your little squad, right? Mm-hmm. Now... <clears throat> If they're 12 inches away, that's three four-inch segments. So they're going to add three to that. So now they need a nine to hit, which is okay. virtually impossible on right. a ten-sided die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just, uh, right. So, but you're you're looking for mass and or lucky shots, right? So the idea is to part of the part of the strategy of the game is to maneuver your units into a better position where you can get better shots and things like that. So. Okay. Well, that makes sense because the the the. I don't even know if what I'm saying is correct, but I'm going to go with it anyway. The, Never the, stopped uh, us uh, before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the the, f- the mm-hmm. weapons they used to the, the in, during the age of piracy were right. were not very accurate correct. to begin mm-hmm. with. So mm-hmm. they were yeah. They were, so another little nerd tidbit. One uh, of the things I learned from Mr. Little, Mr. Benison Little. Right. Yeah. What you're <laughs> referring to is most rifles, most guns. The the barrel was completely smooth. Right. Yeah. If you watch James Bond, and you see the logo come out. You know, and he shoots it, and it looks like a spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how modern firearms have a what it's they call rifling. rifling. Yeah. It's a spiral that's carved into the barrel, which causes the projectile to to spin and go straight. Ah, yeah. Okay. So when somebody calls a musket a rifle, it's actually a completely different type of weapon. So rifles came about. Rifles have been about in this period, but they were really rare because musket balls were not ex- machined exactly. They were made. If you've ever seen like uh, the the most the thing most people have seen is the Patriot, yeah, where he melts little soldiers and he's making musket balls. Right? Yeah, yeah. They don't come out perfect, so you can't have not like a modern uh, weapon where you have you know the bullets going to fit perfectly in the barrel every time. Uh, they had to make the bullets a little bit smaller, so they'd fit. So now, if you've ever shot a paintball gun, that's got. Um, that's got a, a dirty barrel. That's pretty close to the effect you get of a musket, of a smoothbore musket. Mm. It's gonna like the balls is gonna kind of come out and do a little bit of a spin and kind of sort of be in the general direction you shot it, right? Okay. Okay. So I used to run a paintball field and I had damaged <laughs> stock for a while and I yeah. shot a guy behind a tree. Yeah. Because my, <laughs> because my paintball arced so hard and came back in. Yeah. So, and so can I ask you a question? Uh, sure. Being a company that makes. Uh, metal soldiers. Have right. you ever melted them into muskets? Not, not <laughs> yet. Musket balls. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, and primarily because I don't have a musket yet. Oh. <laughs> I, like I need to make. Yes. I need to. We need to find a way to monetize this a little more because it's not the best thing to get into to actually make money. So, because as soon as you were describing that scene from The Patriot, which I've seen, I was imagining you with your little miniature. I could. Like, I could. No. I have the. I have the tool. I have what I need to. I would like. I would love to see that. <laughs> Lily, you were gonna say so. that? Yeah, what I thought it was really cool 
and you might correct me if, I, if I'm kind I'm ready of, to correct um, you, go. It's that <laughs> there is like a difference uh, in some units, like Spanish peop- uh, units and English, or like uh, privateers, because mm-hmm. they, they had outdated technology, and right. that reflects in the in the way that the, the range, right? Right, exactly. So, sort of, yeah. So what it is is the, the good old Spanish technology. So the Spanish were just, especially in the, in the 17th century, Spain didn't really want to spend a lot of money on defending the new world, right? So... <laughs> They're like, yeah, as long as the money keeps coming, <laughs> we're good, right? So as long as yeah. the money's good, the money, the money was coming steadily. So they're like, eh, they'll be all right. They had really strict gun laws too. So they're they're um, they're tip- a typical Spanish militiaman. It's a good chance he probably has never actually fired his musket. Wow. He's probably gone through the drill. He knows how to fire his musket, but he's never actually done it. Uh, not only that, but they had. Bad quality gunpowder. Most of their most of their muskets were actually arquebuses, matchlock arquebuses from mm-hmm. like about 50 years old on average. Wow. So they weren't the best performing weapons. So in the game, what we have is um, so it, one of the things you do is when you, in the game when you fire a musket. Um, so units always have basically based on how you activate the unit because we use cards to do that. Uh, each card will give you the different amount of actions, and that's the mm-hmm. amount of things you can do. And actions are moving, shooting, reloading, rallying your morale, things like that. Right. So. Uh, Spanish units will sometimes get more reload markers. So whenever you fire, you take a reload marker, and you have to spend an action to clear that. Until you've cleared your reload markers, you can't shoot again. Right. So that simulates... So know, it may take three turns to reload. Correct, right. right. So a Spanish unit will typically load slower on some... Based on how you activate them and stuff yeah. like that. Like, I don't want to get into too much specific That stuff. simulation, <laughs> that, that simulation yeah. in the game, is what really... When, when I started getting familiar with this, what really, like help me with my work because mm-hmm. it, it, it led me to okay this is a very immersive game it's all about immersion it's all right. about giving the player yeah. that experience and i didn't know any other games like that so mm-hmm. i was like okay i have to go with it, it it's all about immersion so that's mm-hmm. where i went through and that's one of the, the things i like the most about button plunder you know it, it hasn't changed in the navy today what was <laughs> challenging about the the tall ship combat, mm-hmm. and even the Navy today, the range has changed. Right. But a lot of the tactics are the same. And so what's kind of been romantic about these battles and what really draws people in is the, uh, especially in any combat, the older or earlier in history you get, the closer you got to get to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a temptation to fire when they're far away. Mm-hmm. Right. But then that's actually going to, as that ship is moving closer to another ship, if you got to wait three turns to reload, yeah, right. How many times do they get to fire at you? <laughs> and so, the, you know, when it comes to cannons, you have fixed positions on a ship. Mm-hmm. Those cannons aren't on a turret; they right. can't spin around. Right. So, <laughs> where, how, what position do you put your ship in? If you go broad, mm-hmm. so your cannons are facing somebody else, you're also vulnerable mm-hmm. to them. Right, so mm-hmm. that's when you watch, and 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 they'll just make this super nerdy. Let's go to <laughs> one of the greatest movies of all time, Ding. Master and Commander, of course. Yeah. Wrath of Wrath of Khan. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one actually. Oh wait, that's the Star Trek one, right? Yes. That's right. That's right. No. I was for some reason, for some reason, I was thinking. I don't know why, because we were just talking about the wow, <laughs> the Genghis Khan movie Genghis. that that what's his face? Uh, uh, oh my god. Uh, um. Genghis Khan movie? Oh my gosh, what's the guy's name? I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the, the, the the guy who does all the Western movies. John Wayne. John Wayne, yes, he was oh, he was Genghis yeah, Khan. Yeah. So oh, I don't know, right. I heard he did, Khan. He yeah, play, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but laughing. you know, the, the pivotal moment in the Wrath of Khan is <laughs> okay. when Spock realizes that that Khan 
doesn't see in three dimensions and so therefore they can position their ship it's mm-hmm. it's super high tech but it's actually right back to old right yeah. tall sail ship tactics mm-hmm. so i have a question i've had the the privilege of getting more and more into like nerdy board games and my favorite i, I would say the most fun board game i've ever played is a game called captain sonar have you ever heard of this? Oh, mm-hmm. I wait! Yes. I think I have played that. It's the that. one that you have different players playing against yeah. each other. It's so a battleship, but you can move. One player has a role. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the best there's just two ways to play it. One is kind of turn based, but the the real fun way is um, it's like live. It's just go full tilt, and so there's four people on each side of the table, and one person's the captain, one person's the engineer, one right. person's okay, the, yeah. That's game player time. It is so much fun because you end up you end up you know you have to surface in order to clear out your capabilities of your sub and and that allows you to then you know have enough capability to to fire a weapon but to surface they know where you're at and it's just like you're balancing all these different parameters and when you're playing live it's like you know it's tense it's just the most <laughs> tense board game ever so one of the great <laughs> things about that game is we in my house we have the very base <clears throat> edition of that and i can my Ten-year-old, nine-year-old daughter started playing that. It was the three of us, and my wife would be on one side, and and my daughter would take turns being the operator for someone else or being the commander. Great game to start kids on. That game is phenomenal. Great game. I have I have the full one with the expansions. Yeah. So if you ever want to play, no one ever wants to play because uh, <laughs> we've had it happen where I'm not going to name names, but one of the people involved is at this table. Uh, <laughs> a husband and wife combo left my house like angry, angry deciding yeah. they were not going to play that game against each other anymore. Oh no, that's the problem with any game. Monopoly has caused more divorces. <laughs> Yeah, this little Dane Cook bit, like 3 a.m. F you, Nana, I'm sitting on Baltic with crap. <laughs> Catan almost ruined my family. Yeah. That's yeah. the beauty okay, of yeah, yeah. So, if you like that kind of game, you'd probably really like playing uh, Ships in Blood and Plunder. I'm pretty pumped to, to see it in action. Because, here. so when you're, when you're playing a ship, when you're running a ship in Blood and Plunder, right? Here's, so, again, it works the same as on land. So, you've got a bunch of units, and they all have to do different things. So, you're going to have a unit on one or, one or more units running guns. You're going to have some guys who are dedicated musketeers, sometimes more. You could build it differently however you want, right? And you've got, as you're, as you're maneuvering, so you're, 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 you're maneuvering your ship, and you've got to consider all these angles. You've got to consider the wind. So, re- like, realistic sailing is modeled into it, but in a simple way, right? So you can't sail right into the wind. And if you go toward the wind, most ships, some ships don't, but most ships take a penalty to their speed and their maneuver. So their maneuverability takes a hit. So as you're kind of jockeying for position against your opponent and trying to complete an objective at the same time, uh, sometimes you want to avoid, you want to keep the distance based on the scenario you're playing. Sometimes you want to close and capture the other ship. That's what you have to do. Um, so as your crew, as you start taking hits from uh, from enemy musket fire and cannon fire, right? Not only does your ship take damage, and you can get potential critical hits like leaks and fires and you know rigging damage and all kinds of stuff like that, but Whenever units get hit, they su- they can potentially suffer fatigue, which is basically like a catch-all kind of mechanic that represents morale, uh, physical tiredness, all that stuff, right? So, um, so you're managing as they take fatigue, they start to lose actions and they're not able to do as much stuff. So if you're you're trying to load your guns as fast as possible and you're losing actions on your gun crew, you've got to spend your commander's points to try to rally them and get them going. And, and so, 
so you're managing all these things. Your ship's on fire. It's leaking over here. You've got to use your actions to repair, to put fires out, to load the guns, to keep guys fighting, to keep things going, right? And and that's the and so that's the that's the constant like pressure that's going on while you're tr doing all these things. So it, we my goal when we were putting it together was to try to really to capture what it would be like like to basically to go back to the movie I thought you were talking about to get that like that that image of master and commander that you see in the movie where you, you're in his shoes you're like you're feeling the pressure you're trying to you know you're trying to jockey for position keep everything running and accomplish your objectives so it's very similar to that game in a way although it, pl it plays out differently but it's the same kind of thing so I'm sorry, I drifted there for a minute because you guys were talking about <laughs> games and, you know, and I'm not really into that. But I'm glad you guys are here and, and, and are into this. So um, well, let's let's check in for a second. Yeah, because I'm about finished with this cigar. Oh, okay. How's everybody doing on the on the? We'll just pause on the game because I got a lot more questions. You can take a breath, get something to eat. It's it's <laughs> not. You know what? I'll 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 say it's exactly how they described it. It's on the affordable end, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of a cigar. <laughs> 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 Meaning, it's 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 not it's it's a pleasant cigar. I think this would be like a like a daily smoke. Marcos, if you don't like a cigar, just say so, man. Well, I'm just saying it's not it's not it's, it's not good. nothing to write home about. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do you think, Andrew? Uh, it's pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. I I like cigars that have something interesting about them. Uh, I go for stronger cigars. Uh, when you said this was strong, the, like the strongest one of this line, I was excited. I got, yeah. I'm getting nothing, man. That's what I'm feeling too. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and when I looked at it, I was like, well, it doesn't have the uh, the look of a stronger, a stronger cigar. cigar. Yeah. Like you know, you got the La Flor Dominicana Ligero, which is the one that that actually we were Matt had suggested we get tonight, but they ran out of Neptune. Those really like grainy wrappers on them. Yeah, you yeah. Can this feel one. Feel that texture. Yeah, mm. this one, and and it's just it's it's got it's got a too much of a good draw. I think it's like. Yeah. It's I'm with like you. Hollow. The draws, the draws a little too loose. It's a very loose, loosely packed cigar, but loosely rolled cigar. Sorry. I don't have any complaints about the taste. I, I like the blend. Uh, yeah, it'd be a good regular smoke. I'm having a lot of trouble with the construction. Um, yeah. I, I was going. I think it's canoeing where like one side just real bad going off. I've had to relight like three or four times just to kind of keep it. Like I finally have it now that I'm down to the the end here. Right. I, I, I think the, the I think straight. the loose. Uh, roll is contributing to the fast burn, yeah, and mm -hmm. the uneven. I I kind of like it. I enjoy. It. This is the one I could. I'm, I'm gonna use one of my actions here in a moment and reload. And uh, <laughs> with our with the uh, the bottle of Legend Bourbon and another cigar. Yeah, um, the bourbon's good. Yeah, but I, I think <laughs> it lacks the richness of like an you LFD. know when you smoke an LFD or even. A, a padrone actually even more padrone you that the richness that you get from a padrone it's it's hard to duplicate you know so you guys have often asked me why do i like the bigger cigars and i think um when i smoke a bigger cigar i like this kind of profile flavor profile and ease of smoke but for a longer period of time like i i want it's I'll enjoy it longer yeah. and more. Yeah. Whereas this, uh, I think the loose construction is burning too fast for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm smoking it pretty fast, and I would prefer a little tighter. But I like, I don't mind the flavor. I'm yeah. I know, Andrew, you're 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 kind of 
cigar that you like to smoke is the Tatuajes, right? That's your that's your go-to cigar, right? Yeah, Tatuaje does some amazing cigars, but uh, LFD is a close second. I love really full-bodied cigars, yeah. and both of them do sizes that I like. They tend to be like 54 or thinner. I like thinner cigars. Yeah. Um, I do too, typically. Yeah, this one's a little big for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that that probably con, con, uh, it's probably that loose pack that contributes to the yeah the, the, when you get the, those fat like seventy ring gauge like the one you want me to get <laughs> those are those are fun smokes but they're but they you're you're like what what am I what am I gonna do with this torch that's like the you know yeah, burning in my to fingers laugh at them yeah. a, a little at themselves a little bit right yeah so yeah just smoke a seventy yeah. ring gauge every once in a while exactly it's almost cartoonish <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They're they're or a bit cartoonish. Every chance you get, like yeah. I do. But anyways. Anyway, so we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're going to play a round. Is that what you call it? Of sure. uh, blood and plunder, right? You can call it a round. Um, we're uh, we're we're messing around today with our with uh, some video equipment, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're gonna because see people want to like. see. This. Yeah, they want to see us. <laughs> this you know. is what you're you're in it for. This. That's right. <laughs> We've been robbing people. This is what I've been waiting for personally. I feel like this. I feel like this is like partially disclosing the location. Uh, real quick, <laughs> I have one last nerd question before we. So, you have this passion. You have this love for the. I don't want to call it a genre. That's not right. But the the world. Let's call yeah. it. Let's call it the, the setting. The, the world. Whatever. Um, not a big tabletop gamer like. Did you take the mechanics from what you... Because one of the things I love about um, tabletop RPGs is... Like, we played espionage ones. We played... Dun- As kids, we played Dungeons & Dragons. We played espionage mm-hmm. ones. You, The mechanics are roughly the same. Mm-hmm. What differentiates them is the detail, like you said. Like, the historical right. knowledge that you can bring to bear to tweak it. When it's fantasy, you're just making it up. Well, how fast is a dragon move? Well, it moves this fast. You know, okay, <laughs> okay sure. Um... <laughs> Just tell me a little bit about who or – I don't want to know the mechanics, but who was kind of the engineer behind the mechanics bringing it to the game? So it was mostly me and um, mostly me and another one of our partners and guys who helped us a lot is Fred Barnard. And uh, we had a lot of other people who helped out along the way. Like my brother, Chris, he gave – he put a lot of input. Um you know, there's been a few people that helped out, but but it was mostly me and Fred who sat down and hashed out the whole thing and really came up with what we have now. And we, so when I started, I started it by myself, and then more people came along as I went. Yeah. But I, when I started it out, I kind of just took little bits and pieces from other things that I liked and put right. that together. Um, but it actually ended up being something that's pretty different from most other games mechanically. So the, the okay. system behind it. There's some similarities, like you're gonna you have a target number, you're rolling a dice to hit, right? That stuff is pretty basic. You get that in most games. Some of the basic stuff is there, but a lot of the other mechanics, like the the, the turn structure, the way the way units are activated, things like that. Like we use Using we use a deck cards. of playing cards, yeah. And based on the card you have, right? So you it's so you're gonna go. So instead of like in Warhammer, you're gonna move your whole army and do everything, and then I'm gonna go with mine. So this instead alternates back and forth between units. Oh, and each okay. time you activate a unit, you play a card. And it's just regular playing cards. We make we make a set that has all the game information on it. But basically, um, the suit of the card, whoever has a higher suit determines who goes first. So who that person's gonna get to take an action first. So I don't need to buy another deck of cards. No, you don't. Oh, that's cool. So you don't so now the the catch is that 
And Steve, Steve Soler, who's one of the another one of the guys who helps out a lot, and still and is one of our partners and does a lot of stuff with us. Um, he, he, so the the suit of the card deter. He he had a big part in this in this aspect of it. So the the cards that let you go first typically give you less actions to use on the unit. So now you got a balance between. So the the slowest cards will give you typically three actions, and the fastest will give you one. Which is a could be a tremendous difference. So you got to kind of balance between going first and getting hit, or or being outmaneuvered or whatever, compared to doing more things with your unit. That's a cool synthesis to take the mm -hmm. deck turn and changing your turn based on deck as opposed to like rolling for initiative or something like that. Right, which or, is something which I is, never liked about a lot of games where it's just yeah. totally random and there's no control for that. There's a you're bringing to mind one of my favorite board games. It's a two-player game called Raptor. Uh, and Raptor uses a, a really simple deck for each side, mm -hmm. and it has that same mechanic where you're choosing your card, and you don't know what the other person's going to play, right. and then uh, the person that plays the higher number gets to take some actions, mm -hmm. and then the person that plays the lower number gets some like really cool ability. Gotcha. Um, and it's got this really good, like I'm, like you describing your game is making me want to play it, because I've played <laughs> I've played other games that have that mechanic and do it well, so that's... I've actually never seen that in another yeah, game. Oh, we <laughs> have to play that I gotta check Raptor, Raptor is one of the, yeah, and uh, man, I'm excited to see this game. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, so we want to thank uh, for the audio portion of the podcast. We want to thank Mike and Lily for being here with us tonight. Uh, Mike, where can uh, people find your game? Where can they buy it, uh, find out more about it? Sure, so if you've got a local game store, we're in major distribution with all the – with so any game store can pick up our, our game, and okay. so you could order it. A lot of game stores keep it in stock. Um, but other than that, you can go to firelockgames.com. That's the F I R E L O C K, mm -hmm. so which is the, you know, period term for a uh, flintlock musket or right. flintlock in general. But the uh, firelockgames.com has our web store. It, that's where we have a Facebook. We have a lot of activity on Facebook. Actually, we do a lot of Facebook. We have a Facebook group called uh, Buccaneering on the Spanish Main. Nice. And uh, plus, you can find Firelock Games on Facebook too. Uh, but the the website is where you could go to buy all the stuff, look at all the different models and all the things we have, and so we we have a bunch of downloads for different things. We've got tons of videos on YouTube. If you search Blood and Plunder, which is the name of the game, I don't think we actually brought that up, did we? But anyway, we said it once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blood, blood, blood and Blood and Plunder is the yeah. name blood of the plunder, game. Blood Plunder. Blood <laughs> Plunder. So if you Google it on YouTube, there's tons of videos. We've done a bunch of videos. There's other people who do battle reports and stuff too, so you can kind of see the game in action, get a feel for what it's like. You got any other Firelock? Have any other games in the works or ideas? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got a bunch actually now. We're starting to really ramp up. So one of the things we're starting to do is publish rule sets. So one of the cool things about war games is that if you've got figures, especially for when it comes to historicals, right? Uh, so we've got one now that goes way beyond Blood and Plunder, and it goes into the First World War, and wow, uh, nice. it's called Blood and Valor. And it's basically it's based off the mechanics of Blood and Plunder, so it's a similar game, yes, but it's. Um, but it's focused on skirmishes in the First World War. Uh, and the other big one that we're about to release, we did a Kickstarter for it last year. It's called Oak and Iron, and it focuses on, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit more, uh, I don't necessarily want to call it a simpler game, but an easier, more accessible game. It's more boxed if you're familiar with X-Wing. It's more like kind of a game like yeah, that. Absolutely, yeah. So it's, uh, and that one's focused on the same kind of setting and period as Blood and Plunder, but on uh, fleet battles. So you have, you know, four or five ships fighting against each other, and it's just smaller scale, or one six hundred scale ships. So they're like, you know, two to three inches long on average. Uh, and that one should be out by the end of the year, Lord willing. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> but, um, 
Uh, it should. It'll be out. I at this point it's looking like probably December, November, something like that. So, uh, and then there's some other ones that are in the works. We've got a dice game coming out called Scurvy Dice, which we've been sitting Scurvy on for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So it's another. That one's actually yeah. That one's more of a you know fun family kind of dice rolling game. It's it's super fun. Plays quick. Uh, there's some other ones too, but I I'm, I can't talk about those just yet. But we'll, we've got a couple other mm. other games. Couple other games we're doing. You could tell so. us, but you'd have to kill us. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Mike. Thanks for being here, Lily. Thank you. Thank you for your stories. Right, and, thanks, uh, guys. It's been fun. Yes. Thanks for the cigars. Yeah, you're welcome. Now let's, <laughs> let's play uh, Blood and Plunder. Let's do it. We're just setting up today's game. It's a pirate miniatures game called Blood and Plunder. Yeah, we saw it in the schedule. We love Blood and Plunder. Are we gonna play like a four-on-four skirmish with two different factions? Well, you painted your miniatures. Yeah. Who wants unpainted miniatures, right? Where'd you learn to do that? We watch YouTube tutorials. You can find a bunch on BGG. I love BGG! Oh, cool! Do you watch Game Night? Excuse me!